now today in my message, I want to continue the theme of a family, um, but perhaps focusing a little bit on youth. And I want to read a passage from a book that I do not normally read from the pulpit, but I'm doing this as a way of presenting a certain contrast or attempt. This is what it says. When the Lord Jesus was seven years of age, he was on a certain day with other boys, his companions about the same age. Now don't try to find this in your Bible. Who, when they were at play, made clay into several shapes, namely asses, oxen, birds, and other figures, each boasting of his work and endeavoring to exceed the rest. Then the Lord Jesus said to the boys, I will command these figures which I have made to walk. And immediately they walked. And when he commanded them to return, they returned. He also had made the figures of birds and sparrows, which when he commanded to fly, did fly. And when he commanded to stand still, did stand still. And if he gave them meat and drink, they did eat and drink. When at length the boys went away and related these things to their parents, their father said to them, to them, Take heed, children, for the future of his company, for he is a sorcerer. Shun and avoid Jesus, and from henceforth never play with him. That is from one of the books in the apocryphal New Testament, being all the Gospels, Epistles, and other pieces of extant literature. This is an attempt of many to try to fill in. By the way, we don't believe that this is inspired by any means. But this is an attempt of many people to try to fill in the blank, or like they like to say, the lost years of Jesus Christ. Because very little is said about Jesus as a boy. You realize that, don't you? But what, he, what is said is very significant for us if we have ears to hear. And there's a passage, Luke chapter 2, and I invite you to take your Bible now to that passage. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 39. This is after his presentation in the temple and so on. And in verse 36, during the time of his um, presentation, I'll read from 36 for connection. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow of the age of 84, she left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him of all those who were looking for the redemption of Jesus. Verse 39. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I just stop there for a moment and read the rest of the passage, but I want you to see that Jesus was brought up in a very devout home. The people who believed in God. Notice it says, when they performed everything according to the law of God. Like in Psalm 128, they were carefully walking after God. They reverenced him and demonstrated in the way they lived. And as we'll see, that had a tremendous impact upon baby Jesus. 
The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. You see here, they are continuing to follow the word of God. They go to worship. And when they went, they didn't, uh, and they did go, they didn't send Jesus to church. They went along with him. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. Now some like to go and say he was a kind of a little uh, disobedient boy. He didn't tell his parents where he was going. Didn't ask permission to go. And as a result, caused a lot of trouble. Look at verse 44. But suppose him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. That's another day's journey, looking for him. Then after three days, that's five days now, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. That must have been an amazing sight. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Remember, I was only 12 years. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. So even at this time, although the former text in the earlier verses told us that Mary was astonished at what all of the people were saying, what the angels had said, and she treasured all of these things in her heart. And she probably had a good understanding that God was doing something special, but there were still some things that was unknown to her, a mystery to her. And then verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them. Now, young people, notice this. This is talking about Jesus Christ. He was in subjection to his parents. He probably learned a lesson from this experience. I doubt if he ever did this again. And probably if he ever went away, he probably asked permission from then on. He was in subjection to his parents. How important it is for children to be in subjection to their parents. In fact, this was a part of the law. Children, obey your parents. For what? This is right. This is right. It's a part of God's way of doing things in creation. Children are created to obey their parents, not to give them orders. You see, and whenever children go their own way against the wishes of their parents, you can bet your life they're going to have a difficult time. This is what uh, even the law taught. Here, we're coming back in a moment. I'm just trying to lay a foundation now here. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. He continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She pondered them. The difference in this young man. She was aware that God was doing something, but she didn't understand all. But she treasured these things as well as she questioned these things. But now here's the passage. Verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. That has to do with his mind. And stature. That has to do with his body. 
And in favor with God, that has to do with the spirit and man. That has to do with the social interaction. So we see Jesus here maturing psychologically, if you want. Do you know that there's no psychologist or school of psychology who really knows what a uh, truly actualized person is to be like? They do not really know what a mature psychological person is. Why is that? Because most of the schools of psychology leave out any reference to the spirit. And we know that man is a complete being. And we know that unless his spirit is cared for, man is not complete. The scriptures are the only thing that gives us any kind of description of a truly actualized person using psychological terms. Or somebody who is psychologically mature. We can only get a true picture of that in the scripture. And amazingly, Jesus Christ fits that picture. Jesus Christ fits that picture. And this is uh, an important message for young people. You know, we have young people like to carry around these uh, uh, braces. It says what? What would Jesus do? Right? What would Jesus do? Well, according to this, he would take care of his mind. He would take care of his body. He would take care of his spirit. He would take care of his relationships. You see, he'd be very careful how he handles these things. They're making sure that all of these things are in conformity to the wishes of his parents, if they're still in the house, of course, and also God. Now, and so what I'd like to do today is just to say to you, it is possible for us both as young people and adults, to be like Jesus. To be like, would you like to be like Jesus? Would you? Young people, would you like to be like Jesus? All right. Really? Well, some people say, yeah, but that's Jesus. I, I ain't Jesus. How can I be just like him in everything? Well, do you know that there were some young people who were like Jesus before Jesus came on the scene? The spirit and attitude of Jesus was in them. Just like Moses. The mind of Jesus was in Moses before Jesus came along. When we do, we're going to be doing a study of Exodus zone, and we're going to be talking about Moses. You know the scripture says, let's have the mind of Christ in, in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who? And then he talks about humiliation and obedience and all of that. And people say, well, that was Jesus. Well, we'll see that Moses had a mind just like that, and he did that even before Jesus came on the scene. What am I saying? I'm saying that God, in his wisdom and through his power, enables us to be Christ-like. And he had been doing that even before Christ came on the scene. Take your Bibles. Turn with me now to Daniel. Daniel. Chapter 1. You're familiar with this story, so this is going to be very light theology today for most of you. But I believe that it's important for us, and I wanted to tie it into our dedication somewhat today as well. Daniel chapter 1. You know the story there captured. Uh, during the time of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar came down from Babylon and he captures them. And he had a, a, a technique of 
taking people from uh, the captive city and taking them back into their country and vice versa. In that way, he could lessen uh, attacks later on and uprisings and all of that. And he would normally choose, try to choose some of the cream of the crop of people from the captured city to train. And this is what he's doing here. Now, notice what it says um, in verse... I'll read from verse 3. The king ordered Asphanaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles. Youths in whom was no the fact. Who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. He wanted them to be completely immersed in the culture. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And a, notice, from the wine which he drank. And appointed that they should be educated three years. And at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And notice verse 8. There's a but here. There's a strong contrast now. But Daniel made up his mind. This is where our commitment to Christ always begins, when we make up our minds to follow him. It's a mindset for Christ. It's a mindset. And Daniel and those were young. They were still in the teens. Although when they got into, later on we see that there's a long period of time. And when he, was in the, when he was in the lion's den, he was much older. But here, he's still in his teenage here. And he, at the young age, just like Jesus Christ, made up his mind to follow God. To stay true to his convictions. Where did he get these convictions from? We're going to see how important the home life was in rearing these four men as well as it was in rearing Jesus Christ as a young man. Jesus' home was a godly home. Putting it in terms, the day his parents went to church regularly and they took the child with them. They read the scriptures. They followed the rituals, if you will. In other words, there was a foundation of godliness laid by the parents. And parents, this is important for us today. We look at our children today, our young people wonder, what happened to my child? Well, look back in your life. How did you deal with them? You know, years ago, when I was a boy, and as many years ago, I used to hear the term family altar. You ever heard of that? When last have you heard it? You don't hear Christians today talking about family altar. A time when the family got together read the scriptures, and prayed. Now, thank God we have families who do it. But the emphasis is not as it was years ago. Why? Whenever is your child home to do it? When last have you really sat down and had a meal together and just read the scriptures? It seems that the culture that have been pressing upon us, that have been forcing its own character upon us, has taken away our children from around the family altar and from around the table. And then when we wonder, we see our children going all kinds of ways, we wonder what happened. 
That's what happened. You lost the family altar. You lost the time around the table with your children. Jesus experienced that kind of a thing. So did these young men. Where did these young men, where did Daniel get this idea that I ain't going to do what this king tell me? That's a king. He's in a foreign land. He's surrounded by enemies. And here, this king tells him to do this. And he says, I ain't going to do it. Now, they do it because he was stubborn. No, he did it because he had a spiritual conviction that certain things were wrong before God to do. And he was not going to do it regardless of who told him to do it. There was a conviction. But that conviction was based upon a family bringing or rearing of godliness. And I say to you parents again, you have to really consider this about your children. Too many children think that they're the parents. They tell their people, their parents what they want to do. And they do it regardless, you see. But that family relationship is important before God, you see. And you can be sure when children disobey their parents, especially if those orders or those uh, commands or whatever they give them are in keeping with the word of God, the children are going to pay for it. You can be assured of that. But notice now, it goes on. He says, um, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. You see, this is a spiritual decision. This has to do with spiritual contamination, according to his teaching. He's not going to do anything that will mar his testimony, is how he would put it today. Now, tell me something. You know of any young people, 12, 13, 14, 15, who take that kind of position? I ain't going to do that because that's, that'll, that's a mar on my testimony because it is grace to Jesus Christ. How in the world could a young man make such a strong conviction, spiritual stand? Because of what he was being taught at home. That's why. You see. And that's where it stands. That's where it begins. In our home. And he says. Not defile himself with the king's choice food. Or with the wine which he drank. You see this had special reference to worship. And what is offered to idols. In fact it's understood that some of this stuff. That was being offered around the king's table. Had to do with that kind of a thing. And Daniel knew it would be a contamination. For him spiritually and he made up his mind that he would not in any way disgrace the name of his God by taking part of these things so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself see he's interested in spiritual testimony now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials and the commander of the officials by the way God always grants us favor when we seek to follow him when we take a stand for him he grants us favor. You can bet your life that. When we make a hard decision in the name of God, for the glory of God, God gives us grace to go follow through with it. You see, he does, he does. And the commander of the officer said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the use who were at your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. I'd lose my head if I don't do what the king says. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servant for 10 days. You see, Daniel knew his God would not fail him. And let us give some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. 
So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their parents seemed better. And they were fatter. I like that one. And they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Isn't that amazing? These people, these guys look better, more healthy. So the overseer continued to withhold the choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the official presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom understanding about which the king consulting them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. And Daniel continued until the fifth first year of Cyrus the king. What a wonderful story that is. But what powerful lessons for young people as well as adults. You see, Daniel and his companions were trying, they were being pressed into the image of Nebuchadnezzar, of Babylon, the pagan. In other words, we could say it. The world... The world mold of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon was being used to shape these men, to conform these young men into the likeness of this pagan society. But because of the conviction that they had in their God, because of their grounding in the word of God as children, they were able to stand against it. And rather than being, becoming conformers, they became transformers. And that's what I want to suggest that God wants all of us to be. Transformers rather than conformers. We are not to be molded into the world's mold. But we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that goes for young people as well as adults. We are not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that is demonstrated in the life of these three men. Let's look very briefly at some of them, uh, some of the traits then in these young men. First of all, Scripture tells us that they were physically fit. It's very clear on this. They were physically fit. In other words, these young men took care of their bodies. Now, we, need all, we all need to do that, don't we? We need to take care of our bodies. They were in excellent physical condition. They took good care of these physical bodies. And young people, I say to you, God wants you to do the same thing. Not only to be subject to your parents and to obey your parents, but you are to take care of your bodies. Don't use it for immoral purposes that so many young people are doing today. To elicit sexual relations. Don't expose your body to the threat of, or the possibility of AIDS. Because you feel that the only way that you can show that you're a man or that you're going to be accepted by the girls is if you lay around with everyone. No, no, no. That's a misuse of your body. When you do things like that, you are conforming to the world. 
But if you claim to be a believer, you must transform those around you, not conform to what is being done. No matter how they say that you want to be a part of this group, you have to do this. You have to be able to be like Daniel, to make up your mind not to be defiled with the contaminations of the world. Take care of your body. Don't give it to immoral purposes and expose it to the possibility of deadly disease. Don't give it over to AIDS. Don't give it over to drugs. Don't be tempted to think that you've got to try this little piece of weed or you've got to smoke this just so that you could show that you're one of us or you're with us. No, no, no. Do not conform. But be transformers, you see. Don't take that first drink. Don't misuse your body. Take care of your body. Use it to glorify God. By the way, you could do this by overeating as well. Overeating, overdrinking, over drugs, all of those types of things you can do these things with. You could also do it by lack of exercise. Do you know that? Eh? But these men, these young men took care of their bodies. And I challenge you today as I challenge myself. And I'm fighting this myself and taking care of my body. And I'm winning a little battle. In fact, that trip to China, I never walked so much in my life. But you know, I thought I'd go over there. I ate so much food. I thought I put on 20 pounds, but I didn't. I came back and I weighed almost the very same thing I weighed when I left. Except for the first couple of days. But, you know, but take care of your body. That's what he's saying here. Take care of your body. If you want to be a transformer rather than a conformer, do not treat your body the same way that your friends are treating theirs. You understand what I'm saying? Make a stand, a conviction. Determine in your heart that you're going to do this for the glory of God. You're going to take care of your body. You're not going to expose it to immorality. You're not going to expose it to drugs. You're not going to expose it to alcohol. You're going to use it to glorify God. But second, they were pleasing in appearance. In other words, they didn't only take care of the bodies, they also took care of their appearance. They dressed well. And they looked good. Howard Hendricks, uh, by the way, Sean and Ali, so good to see you guys. And little Bahama Mama, where she is? She's around here with her sister. Little Bahama Mama, she was born right here, right? And so good to see you all. Remember Howard Hendricks? Howard Hendricks used to say this, quote, just because you're Christian doesn't mean you have to look like an unmade bed. <laughs> or like you were weaned on dill pickles. <laughs> but it's amazing how many Christians have that attitude. Now tell me something. Why is it that young Christian girls have to go around with half of their belly out? Why? Because all the other girls are doing it. What are you doing? You are conforming to the world. You want to be different? Say, not me. I'm not going to do that because that's not glorifying to God. I am not going to walk around my belly button out. Now, fellas, the girls say, you always pick on us. We're a little bit of fellas. They're walking around now with the drawers hanging out. <laughs> all right? The pants almost down to the knees, you know. Why are they doing it? Why are they doing it? Are they doing it because they have a conviction in their heart that they want to glorify God? No. They're doing it because every, they're conformers. That's all. And yet you ask a young person, you know something? They want to be unique. It's amazing how they want to be unique by being like everybody else. Isn't it amazing? No, no, no. 
You stand out, not me. I'm not going to do that. You see, and these short shorts that girls are wearing today and exposing their bodies and everything. I could go down the line. We could go all the way. Why are you doing it? Not only young people, some of the mothers are doing the same thing. They walk around with all these halters and everything else. You wonder if it's going to drop. Well, anyway. (laughs) And you wonder, why is this young lady doing it? Is it only because what she sees out there? No, maybe it's because what she sees in there as well. Her parents are doing the same thing. And that's not true all the time, mind you, but sometimes it is. These young men decided that they were not going to do anything with their bodies that would bring dishonor to God. Their parents, they were going to dress properly, modestly and in good taste. They were not going to dress just to please the world. And I can tell you, young people, if you're dressing only because you're doing that and you know it's a disgrace, you're disgracing God, not only yourself. You see? So watch out. These young people, they cared for their bodies and they cared for their appearance. And so young people, I said, you look good for Christ. You don't have to dress shabbily just because your unsaved friend, or for that matter, your saved friends don't want to dress good for Christ. Just because they don't do it don't mean that you have to. You understand what I'm saying? You have to be a transformer. You could change their lives. You could impact their lives for good by doing what you know would glorify God rather than otherwise. You see, you see, what causes you to stand out as an original is your commitment to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're just going to be like a carbon copy like everybody else. It's your conviction for Jesus Christ that makes you unique in your family. Carry yourself then with dignity, with modesty. Carry yourself with real style. Look good for Jesus Christ. Don't look like an unkept bed. But not only do they take care of their bodies, not only did they dress good or look, took care of their parents, but they also took care of their minds. They were mentally competent. They were mentally competent. In other words, they were good students. They were teachable. But they watched out what they were taught. Their mind just wasn't open and taking anything that comes in. Yes, they had an open mind, but they had a gate. They allowed what was good to come in, and they kept out what was bad. See, some people say, you have that open mind? Yeah. But if you don't have an open mind without a gate, you got all kind of junk come in. Isn't that right? There's a lot we could learn out there, but there's a lot that we don't want to learn either. You have to be discerning. These young men were. When Daniel saw this stuff written down, what he was supposed to eat and drink, he said, no, 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 no way. I can do the other stuff, but I can do this. He shut the the gate to his mind. Not particularly. Young people, you got to do that as well. What do you read? Why do you read it? What do you look at a TV? You see, why do you look at it? Why do you watch it? You see, you have to know what to allow in and what to allow out. And by the way, whether you like it or not, many times your parents know more than you do when they tell you about certain programs. You see, what not to watch and what to watch and so on. But these young men were mentally competent. They took care of their minds. They were careful with what they put into them. You have to be as well. One of the best ways that you could show that you are pleasing God in relation to your parents and you're taking care of your mind is do your homework. That's right. 
Do your studies well. Make sure that you're concentrating and you're doing what you're supposed to do in school and so on. These young men took care of their minds. They took care of the bodies. They took care of their parents. They took care of their minds. They were mentally competent. But they were also socially adept. They took care of their relationships. The Bible says, such as had ability to stand in the king's palace. In other words, they fitted in socially. They knew how to relate to people. They know how to speak to people. One of the things that irks me now, I go into a restaurant, and here's a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl comes in and says, Hey, you guys, how you doing? Now you say, hey, that's what everybody says. These young people talking to old people. Hey, guys. To me, as a Christian, that's not sociably acceptable. You see? You have to treat elders with respect. You understand what I'm saying? Now, you might say I'm saying this because I'm, I'm getting old. Not getting old, I'm old. But you know, you, it's very rare to hear young people today say, Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I was so delighted the other day I was listening to a, a child talk to her dad. And she said, Yes, sir. Man, what, what's happening here? This person just come from the bush or someplace? It sounded so good. Talking to a parent, yes, sir. To a mom, yes, ma'am. You see, we've lost that today. Children talk to parents, oh, yeah, that's what you say, not me. Mm -mm. You come in the door, hey, what happening? You say, that's the age in which we live, that's the problem. You're allowing yourself to be conformed to the age rather than you being a transformer of these uh, kinds of lifestyles. You understand what I'm saying? This is what made the difference with these men, these young men. It's amazing to me today how many young people go out of the way to be antisocial. Do you know that? Some people, they just, young people, they just don't seem to know how to talk to people anymore, to relate. Can't carry on a conversation anymore. Why? Because I watch too much TV where there's no conversation. <laughs> Why? Because we've lost the table around which we converse with each other. You know, there are only a few families, Christian families today, that meet with their children around the table and talk about issues. You see? Those are the times that we learn how to relate to people. You see? And no matter how old-fashioned it may be, that's a way that we could show that we are bringing about children in a godly fashion. These young men here were physically fit. They took care of the bodies. They were pleasing in the parents. They took care of their parents. They were mentally competent. They took care of their minds. They were socially adept. They took care of relationships. It's amazing how young people have so little respect for those in authority today, their elders, or even for the leaders in the church. And young people, they behave in church the same way they behave wherever they go, wherever they gang hang out. It's the same way. No difference, no change. Why should I, I, me, I can be me everywhere. Have no sense that, hey, you're in a different place and it demands a different behavior, a different attitude. You see. That's the way the gang does it. That's the way everyone does it. That's the mindset of a conformer. Transformer says, I am going to live my life in a way that honors God. 
And you do that, you'll be surprised and know the lies that you touch for God. But then they were also spiritually committed. They took care of their faith. This was the basis for everything they did. They took care of their faith. They took their faith seriously. They took their belief in God seriously. What they learned in their homes was something that stayed with them all through their life. They didn't throw it away and say, Now, hey, you know, I, I old now. That's what I, I was. You know, you know about being drugged to church? You know, I was drugged to church and all that stuff. No, no, no. They held on to the truth of God's word. And they took care of their faith. They nurtured their faith. They did all of the things that were prescribed to do to grow in the faith as they knew it then. But our young people today, you have to have something attractive to get them out. Exciting. You see? You get to have somebody telling all kinds of jokes or breaking blocks or cracking whatever in order to get young people interested in the faith. Isn't that amazing what you got to do? You, you know, in the day, uh, we're talking in the, the fight with Iran and with Korea and talking about you got to use the carrot and the, and, the, and the reward idea, you know, put little carrots out for them and everything else to, 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 to get them to do what you want. Them. That's what people have to do with young people. Little carrots, you come out and we'll do this, we'll do that for you. When you, when you respond to your faith like that, you're not never ever going to have strong faith. You have to make a commitment that, hey, this is good for me. This is what God wants me to do. This is what honors my parents. And so I am going to do this. You have to take care of your faith, you see. You just cannot use it as a way of meeting girls and boys. Mm. Now I know what I'm talking about. Because I... These guys took care of these faiths, these young men. These young men were offered the best education there in Babylon. They had a high position and they had the right to eat at the king's table. And they accepted everything except the food and drink. Why? Because God had told them in the law not to eat meat or drink that was offered to idols. And all of the food the king ate was such food. These were young men with strong religious convictions. And they had the courage to live up to those convictions regardless to how many of their, their peers didn't. See, one of the problems we have in our society today is not only the peers causing problems, but the parents causing problems. Because the parents are hypocrites. Because they talk about being like Christ and they live like the devil. They're dishonest in their dealings. They lie. They cheat. You see? And they do it all before the children. And they say, children, you got to go to church. Why? To be like you? <laughs> so it's not only the peers that cause the problems with our young people. Many times it's the parents trying to put certain things on our children that we don't do ourselves. You see? Daniel and his companions made a basic spiritual decision. Then that decision made them. They made a decision. Then that decision made them to be the men that they turned out to be. It made them into transformers rather than conformers. And so today I can guarantee you, if you as a young person or even as a parent, an older person, that if you make a commitment, if you make a decision to honor Christ first as your Savior, you receive Him as your Lord, and you make a commitment him that decision can make you 
That decision can make you into a transformer rather than a conformer. But you have to make a decision. You want help in bringing up your children and you still do not know Christ. The best thing you can be for your child, do for your child, is to become a Christian. And that's by placing faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, the best thing you can do is to recommit yourself to Christ and to say that I am going to live a Christ-like life before my children. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be faithful to my, to my church. I am going to be a decent person. I am going to make sure that I am taking care of my body. I'm taking care of my appearance. I'm taking care of my mind. I'm taking care of my relationships. I'm taking care of my faith. I'm going to make a commitment like that because I want my child to be like that. You do that, and you could be the one to bring up transformers rather than conformers. Bow with me in a word of prayer, please. Take a few moments, quiet reflection. Perhaps God has spoken to you today in some form or fashion. Perhaps the parent, first of all. You realize that the kind of lifestyle, the model that you have in your children is not pleasing to God. And you need to make a commitment to change that. Well, determine like Dan and right now in your mind to honor God in your life. And that all your dealings with others is going to be done in such a way that it honors God. It reverences Him. If you're a young person, you know that you have disobeyed your parents. You know that you have dishonored God by disobeying your parents. You know that you've run away from God. No matter what you other things you might be doing, but you know that if you're not right to your parents, I can tell you now, you're not right with God. And you need to make a commitment now to get right with your parents so you can get right with God. Young person, commit yourself to being a transformer rather than a conformer. That you're going to live a life that shows God that you're taking care of your body. You're taking care of your appearance. You're taking care of your mind. You're taking care of your relationships. You're taking care of your faith. Make that commitment today for the glory of God. As I pray now, if anyone made that commitment, you just raise your hand, put right back down. I just want to mention that in prayer. Anyone who made a commitment along any of the lines, just raise your hand, put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord bless. Father, thank you for your presence with us today. For those who have made commitments, we pray now that you might manifest yourself to them in a powerful way. Help us all, our Father, to become transformers rather than conformers. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.